Section 4 of Pantheistican. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linny. Pantheistican by John Toland. Of the Ancient and Modern Societies of the Learned, sections 14 to 17. It will not be amiss to remark, as we go along, that the excellent author above quoted, upon diet, whom I judge to be not Hippocrates, but someone more ancient, delivered in a few words, like so many oracles, the whole doctrine of the revolution of all things, the appearances remaining always the same. For, after having reasoned upon the primary elements of nature, together with their infinite concretions and secretions, and deduced accurately from thence this theorem, everything is to all as all is to everything, he pursues his argument in the following words, as if delivered from a tripod. Each and every thing, as well divine as human, is turned up and down. Days and nights have their increase and decrease. So also has the moon. There is an excess of fire and water. The sun, too, has various appearances with regard to us. Again, these and not these. Light to Jupiter is darkness to Pluto and light to Pluto is darkness to Jupiter. Those come to and are transposed here, these there in all times. Those pass over what belongs to these, and these what belongs to those. They know not what they do, but they seem to themselves to know what they do, and what they see they know not. But all things are actuated in them by a divine necessity, both what they will and what they know. Now those coming here, and these there, and mingled through one another, every one of them satisfies its destined fate, as well to more as to less. When once we know that in this remarkable passage by divine celestial bodies are understood, and by human terrestrial, that Pluto signifies the center of the earth, or of every globe, and Jupiter the surface, or circumfused air, these, I say, being well understood, that man will easily conceive all the rest, who, together with the mutual excess and recess of moist and dry, or the sea and land, comprehends those things I already inculcated, concerning the continued declination of the meridian line, and consequently concerning the not less continued, though almost imperceptible, change of the axis of the earth. All these particulars duly considered either with regard to the variation of particles always changing their place, or with regard to the constancy of never varying appearances, the condition of all the globes in the infinite either, is alike, the contemplation of which is undoubtedly not only the most agreeable, but also the most noble of all the things that come within the verge of true philosophy. That the abettors of the universal deluge and general conflagration should not complain, that nothing is granted them, weighing things in the scale of Heraclitus, and using his form of expression, we give up to them what they desire, and yet we do not. We say that the whole earth was overwhelmed by waters, and it was not, and again, that all waters shall be conquered by fire, and shall not, but that no preposterous interpretation should be given to what we say, as it happened to that great philosopher, though upon a different matter, 
we shall set forth more manifestly our sentiments. Wherefore we maintain that, in reality, there is no part of the earth, but was some time or other covered by sea, and that there is no part of the sea, but will be, at length, possessed by the earth. For cessity or dryness, very often, among the writings of the ancients, has the signification of fire, of which it is both the property and effect. In the so often quoted books upon diet, we several times meet with fire in the sense of dry or solid, it being usual with writers to put the effect for the cause. The most ancient of the Hebrews, without any addition, used dry for earth, and the most ancient Greeks, moist absolutely for sea. So Moses spoke, so Homer. As therefore there is an excess of dry, so also there is a recess of moist, interchangeably succeeding each other, as well in a macrocosm as microcosm. The whole earth, I say, was formerly buried under water, and the whole sea hereafter shall grow dry, or, which is the same, shall turn to fire. From which places misconstrued, and from the mysterious words of the Chaldeans misunderstood, flow the prodigy of the universal and final conflagration. Now that any such thing, as that either an absolute sway of moist over dry, or dry over moist, has ever universally been, or shall be, in one and the same time, or together, as it is said, and at once, we not only simply deny it, but we prove that it is by no means possible. We are not so silly as to credit the Caleonian fables and stoical dreams, neither do we allow the supposed qualities of the peripatetics, which generating like ones to themselves can some time or other reduce, or rather change, all others into themselves. Two theories are made out of these qualities, upon the permutation of the four elements, which are not elements as mixed, or, if they are simple, they are in no wise fit, as we before remarked, to expound the varieties of things, as neither is the matter of Descartes' first, second, and third elements. Nature opens a more ready way. Infinite, simple, and dissimilar substances, or the primary bodies of infinite species, movable and indivisible, make all the mixtures of all things, of which they themselves are the eternal, unexhausted, and immutable matter. But the concretions that proceed from thence, as they have no other production than the various conjunctions of those bodies, so they have no other destruction than the separation of these same bodies, by whatever cause this falls out to be so. Thus it need not be apprehended that generation should at any time fail, the first substances remaining incorrupt, and there being always an ascent and descent of parts. Neither, in like manner, is it to be dreaded that any contrariety, whatever finally it is, should convert into itself, or consume the other parts of the universe, as there can be no division, much less permutation, of the first bodies. Hence chymists, alas, may despond of ever finding the philosopher's stone. Therefore a constant and perpetual reciprocation of all possible mixed bodies follow, by which nothing is truly destroyed in the universe, but, as I above mentioned, everything changes only its place, for which reason, though a creation out of nothing is looked upon by the Hebrew Kabbalists and the philosophers of other nations 
to be the production of a thing, both out of the nothing of itself and out of the nothing of a pre-existing subject, yet all things can be said to be properly created, for all things, as we have shown, are so moved as to appear that there is a process and recess in infinitum. And although the series of motions and the series of all things is eternal, yet there is no motion, no thing eternal, but all things are made anew, all things are truly created. But of this elsewhere, now what follows? Inasmuch as, to return now into the circle, philosophy is divided by the pantheists, as well as other ancient sages, into external or popular and depraved, and internal or pure and genuine, no discord arises among them, if every one of their brotherhood professes the heresy he sucked in with his milk, so it be not entirely false, or that which has been anywhere established. They never enter into a dispute upon scholastic baubles, supposing that, in indifferent matters, nothing is more prudent than the old saying, you must talk with the people and think with philosophers. But should a religion derived from one's father or enforced by the laws be holy, or in some respects wicked, villainous, obscene, tyrannical, or depriving men of their liberty, in such case the brethren may, with all the legality in the world, betake themselves immediately to one more mild, more pure, and more free. They not only steadfastly assert and hold to a liberty of thought, but also of action, detesting, at the same time, all licentiousness, and are sworn enemies of all tyrants, whether despotic monarchs, or domineering nobles, or factious mob-leaders. Many of them are to be met with in Paris, in Venice also, in all the cities of Holland, especially at Amsterdam, and some, which is surprising, in the very court of Rome, but particularly, and before all other places, they abound in London, and have placed there the sea, and, as it were, the citadel of their sect. This plain, I speak not of the Royal British Society, nor of the French Academy of Virtuosos, nor of any such public assembly. The pantheists, as I intimated, instituted moderate and honest banquets, not luxurious and scandalous, not to please a nice and delicate palate, but to bring together friends and relish the sweets of conversation. There's no carousing in their society, no gaming at hazard or dice, no piping, dancing, singing, sackbut playing females, no stage players' entertainments or farcical buffooneries, learned discourses, and apropos jokes are their operas and sweetmeats. These suppers, in a word, are not apician or glutinous, but pure, simple, and elegant. The table is frugal, though neat, the furniture indifferent, though clean, and the brow often cheerful, but never lowering. Towards the end, the waiters and servants, as so many profane and illiterate persons, are shut out, and the doors being closely bolted, according to the custom of the ancients, the brethren variously converse upon various topics. As the bottle is in common to all, so also is discourse. Some question or other, besides the arguments perhaps started, is proposed to be solved by the assembly, as in the Platonic banquet, or as in the Xenophantic, each person gives an account of his task, either imposed upon him by himself or by others. 
they treat of serious and grave things, without contention, of ludicrous and pleasant, without levity. Important disputes are entered upon, concerning the knowledge of the most worthy things, and from matters indifferent arise agreeable interludes. As to the order that is observed in these societies, they have a president, whose authority is the same as that which was formerly enjoyed by the Greeks and Romans upon a like occasion. At every meeting the brethren of every respective place are present, unless some or other of them is detained by sickness, or is upon a journey, or can allege a reasonable excuse for absenting himself. They have, which is most worthy to be related and known, a form of celebrating the Socratic society, divided into three parts, and containing the laws, axioms, and maxims of the society. We shall soon present the reader with a view of it. One part is always read in every meeting, the first usually, or the last, the president solemnly reciting before, the rest entering, and sometimes bearing chorus with him. Most is said alternatively, according to that verse of Virgil, Homer first suggesting it. And alternate measures sing, alternate measures please the muses best. But the whole form is repeated on solstices and equinoxes, whose conversations, by the mediation and influence of the sun, produce the vicissitudes of seasons, and all other changes that happen in our globe. The whole form is also read at other times, especially upon the admission of a new brother, which is never done but by the unanimous consent of all, although he can be discarded by a majority of votes. The presidents, to make no room for debates in elections, follow the order of their admission into the society, and in meetings the late president speaks first, and the new one is the steward of the feast. They frequently interpret the philosophical canon, just placed in the second part of the form, and deduce from it the most abstruse theorems of natural philosophy, according to the sentiments of the ancient Socratics. And it is not amiss that it is adjusted to the sentiments of the modern Socratics, to wit, the pantheists, or the brethren, as appears from propositions placed on the margin, that none should make the least scruple upon any particular to pass by in silence, as I consult brevity, other interpretations of sublime matters made by them. At stated times they ruminate on the law of nature, the true and never deceiving reason, as it is exhibited in the last part of the form. By the brightness of whole rays they dispel all darkness, exempt themselves from trifling cares, reject all pretended revelations, for what men of sense doubts of true ones, explode forged miracles, unreasonable mysteries, ambiguous oracles, and lay open all deceits, tricks, fallacies, frauds, old wives' tales, whereby a thick cloud envelops religion, and a pitchy night overspreads truth. But the form now presents itself. End of section 4